Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for all the blessings that you give to us. I thank you for the opportunity we have to come in this morning uh, to worship you. God, I just pray as we dig into your word that you will highlight uh, your word for us. Show us what it is that we need to hear. I know each and every one of us might need a slightly different message, but God, I know you have a message for all of us. Help us, God, to tune in and, and to hear you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's see. All right, so going through our VBS this week, um, or this month, sorry, not this week, this month, the, the theme has been in the wild. But the theme for the Bible studies and the theme for the sermons have, have been uh, zoom in, focus on Jesus. So the idea is, is, as Jesus is going about his ministry, we'll go in and we'll zoom in on four different instances, four different um, uh, for different encounters with Jesus as he's going through his ministry. The first encounter that we had with Jesus was, uh, was at the Jordan River. He came to be baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, John was preaching a, a message of repentance and, and calling people to be baptized. Well, Jesus came down to be baptized by John, and John said, hold on a second, something ain't right about this. Because Jesus didn't need to repent from anything. But Jesus said, you know, we'll go ahead and do this because this is the Father's will, and we're going uh, we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna obey the Father. And then Jesus gets baptized, and he comes up out of the water, and the heavens open up, and God speaks from heaven and says, this is my Son in whom I am pleased, and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Now, if anybody has seen the newest version of Lion King, there's a scene in there that they totally stole from this this uh, encounter with Jesus. Simba standing in the water and, and you see Mufasa in the sky and he's talking about how proud he is of his son and then the song that follows is about the spirit. I'm like, oh, they, just, they totally just took that from the Bible. But our second encounter with Jesus uh, was at the Sea of Galilee um, and he sent his disciples out ahead of him and Jesus went up on the mountain to spend a little bit of alone time with God. And so the disciples had made it about halfway through the, the sea and they had encountered a storm. Jesus walks out to them on the water, and Peter steps out of the boat. Jesus calls Peter out of the boat, and Peter steps out and starts walking and then loses his focus and starts to sink. He calls out to Jesus, and Jesus saves him, gives him a little bit of uh, rebuke and discipline, calls him ye of little faith. And I'm thinking, hold on, this guy just stepped out of the boat. How's that little faith? But it helps us to see that even when we are being obedient, we still have to, we still have to keep our focus on Jesus, not just our actions but focus on him. Uh, the third encounter was with Jesus at the empty tomb. Mary came to the tomb early and found the stone rolled away. She thought somebody had stolen the body, so she ran to get the disciples. John and Peter ran to the tomb, and finding it empty, they believed that Jesus had been resurrected. Mary was still outside the tomb crying, and Jesus came to her and revealed himself to her, and then she believed that, she had, that he had been resurrected. So, so far in these three encounters, we've seen evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. First, in the Jordan River, the Father proclaims that Jesus is his Son. Second, at the Sea of Galilee, the disciples make that proclamation. And then last week, the resurrection proved that Jesus is the Son of God. Now this week, we get a different encounter with Jesus. This is in Luke 24, 13-35. And here we see that the Old Testament proves that Jesus is the Son of God. And so this encounter with Jesus, the first one was at the Jordan River. The second one was on the Sea of Galilee. The third one was at the empty tomb. This encounter is on the road to Emos. So I've got to be honest with you. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 
One of my favorite passages. So we'll go ahead and get right into it. Starting in verse 13, it says, Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emos, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk among them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So we see that the disciples are discussing and arguing, right? These two disciples were trying to process everything that had happened, right? Their emotions were raw, so they start arguing. Well, let's talk about what had happened, okay? They were there in Jerusalem. They had come with Jesus into Jerusalem, and the, the city welcomed him as the king. And then in just a week's time, they went from welcoming him as a king to crucifying him as a criminal. They accused him of blasphemy, and they crucified him as a criminal, and so Jesus was buried in the tomb, and then three days later, the tomb's empty. And so these two disciples are trying to process all that, and in, the, in that, that discussion they're having, they start to argue. Uh, then a stranger comes up and starts walking with them, and it says they were prevented from recognizing him. Now, I spoke briefly about this last week, that though Jesus was physically resurrected, there was something different about him. His body was not the exact same as it was before the resurrection. He spoke to Mary and his identity was hidden from her. Jesus is able to enter and exit in, uh, from locked rooms, and, and at other times he, he appears and disappears. So he is physically, something's different about him. But physically, he is still there, right? Mary hangs on to him outside the tomb, not wanting to let go. Jesus eats with the disciples. He even cooks breakfast on the, the lake shore. So we've got, uh, it's, it's not some sort of ghost or apparition. Jesus is physically there, but he's physically different somehow. He's physically there because he is physically and literally risen from the dead. It's not just a ghost. He is physically and literally risen from the dead. He has been resurrected, but his resurrected physical form is perfected, like his spiritual form has always been. So now that now, I'm sorry, now Jesus' identity is hidden from them, and let's see how the conversation ensues. Then he, that's Jesus, he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. So we see Cleopas answers him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Now, this comment makes an important point when it comes to defending our faith. Okay, This comment right here is very important when it comes to us defending our faith to non-believers. The disciples indicate that everyone in Jerusalem knew what had happened. Even people who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, everybody knew what went down. Everybody knew who Jesus was, and they knew why he was being crucified. And everybody knew the claims that the disciples were making that he had been resurrected. The events leading up to and including the resurrection were not done in secret. They were performed out in the open and were common knowledge. What that means is that there should be outside evidence from the Bible that confirms what we read in the Bible. This is called extra-biblical evidence because it's evidence confirming what happens in the Bible that's outside the Bible. Now, there was a Jewish historian named Josephus who was not a believer but he wrote about Jesus' life, death, and even mentions that the disciples believed that he was resurrected. 
So here we have extra biblical evidence showing that, well, exactly what Cleopas says. Do you, don't, don't you know what's going on here? Everybody in town knows what has happened. How do you not know? So we have outside evidence of a Jewish historian who says this is exactly what happened. So events as important as the, the arrival of the Messiah, his crucifixion, and subsequent resurrection would be important enough to make the news. Well, and apparently they did. So let's keep reading. It says, But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see him. So let me summarize what these two disciples are saying. Jesus was a great prophet, and he was crucified by the religious leaders. But we thought he was the Messiah. Now it's three days from his crucifixion, and some people from our group are saying that his tomb's empty. The, the, the body is lost. So these disciples are clearly very upset. They thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he must not be because he's dead. Even though Jesus warned them that he would be betrayed into the hands of his enemies and that he must be killed, they uh, then raised again, and the evidence is there for them to see that and believe it, everything except for the risen body. They don't believe that Jesus has been resurrected. All the evidence is there except for the risen body. Well, the risen body is there. They just don't recognize it yet. See, so many times when we are reading the Bible, we want to look back on the people in the Bible and wonder how they could just be so thick-headed. I know I do, a lot. I look back and I'm like, how did you not see that? What were you thinking? How could you make that mistake? Especially when I look at what Peter does sometimes, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? But we have to recognize, if we, well, we have to recognize that we have you know, 2,000 years of history and study to look back on the, these actions that these people are doing. We weren't there in the moment. We have to remember, there were people who had come from Jerusalem claiming to be the Messiah, and some of them would even gather a reasonable size group of followers. Eventually, though, all of them died, and all the hopes of the Israelites placed in them died along with them. These disciples seem to be reverting back to their old feelings of hurt and broken hope. Right? Jesus, sorry, this Jesus of Nazareth must have been another one of these false messiahs who is now dead and gone. Their doubts are understandable, but there's something special about this Jesus of Nazareth, and they just don't see it yet. If we keep reading, we get to witness the events that lead to their understanding. So we're going to keep reading, picking up in verse 25. He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in with them. Now earlier I said, whoops, sorry, earlier I said this is one of my favorite passages, and verse 27 is one of my favorite verses, or is my favorite verse in this passage. Verse 27 says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. <laughs> so what that means is that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. See, the Jews divide the Old Testament into three sections. The Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Now the Torah 
is made up of the first five books of the Bible. These are the books that Moses wrote, right? It's, uh, sometimes you hear it called the Pentateuch. These are the first five books of the Bible, the books that Moses wrote. Then the second section is the prophets. Well, it's just like it sounds. These are the books that are written by the prophets. And finally, the writings. This section contains everything else, uh, things like poetry and theology, for example. Now, a common way for a Jew to indicate that they were referencing all of the Jewish holy writings was to say, Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Now, this became such a, a common idiom that they even shortened it down. Instead of saying Moses, the prophets, and the writings, that they just said Moses and prophets. And, uh, and so when you read about that in the Bible, when they talk about Moses and the prophets, they're referring to the Old Testament. Uh, so what Jesus is saying here in verse 27 is that all of the Old Testament points to him. Everything from Genesis to Malachi, from the most prominent Old Testament figures like Moses and David and Abraham to the most obscure characters like uh, Zabiah and Hopa. And no, I didn't make those names up. Right? Jesus shows these disciples that the entirety of the Old Testament prophesies about the Messiah and that Jesus of Nazareth specifically answers those prophecies. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go through the Old Testament for me to the whole Old Testament for me to show you all that. But let's hit a couple highlights. All right. So, starting in the creation, starting in Genesis, all the way back at the very beginning, right? In Genesis one and two, God creates the whole world and everything in it, and He does this to reveal His glory and to be glorified. The main way that God is glorified is through His relationship with His creation, specifically His relationship with humanity. Now, the fall happens shortly after creation. When I say creation, the, the creation account is Genesis 1 and 2. And we read about the first sin in Genesis 3. And then the rest of the Old Testament talks about the fall. Right? So starting in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve committed the first sin, humanity is cursed with sin. They're enslaved to it. And our relationship with the Creator is broken. Now, almost everything from Genesis 3 through the end of the Old Testament shows us a sinful nature of humanity shows us how often and how badly we fall short of the grace or fall short of the glory of God. And then we read little hints throughout the rest of the Old Testament about a rescuer, about a rescue. There are hints of redemption throughout the Old Testament. Right after the first sin, still in Genesis 3, Eve is promised that one of her descendants would crush the serpent. Yes, the serpent would injure her descendant but the serpent would be crushed by her son. Now we get all, so all other sorts of glimpses of a savior. The substitutionary sacrifice of the ram in place of Isaac points to Jesus. The Passover lamb in Egypt points to Jesus. In four different points in Isaiah, he prophesies about a servant who will suffer for God's glory and suffer to take the punishment for our sin. Many, many other passages in the Old Testament that point to Jesus foreshadow his ministry. Now, even more interesting, as we read through the Old Testament, we have these yet unfulfilled prophecies about an end time, about a restoration, bringing things back to the way they were before sin came. Now, two of the more common end times passages are in Daniel and Ezekiel, and these are called apocalyptic literature, and they point to the end times. They point to the time when God is going to return and create a new heaven and a new earth and we will be with him in glory, with a perfected relationship like it was supposed to be back in creation before our sin. 
In order to get to that restoration, though, we need a Savior. We need to be rescued. Right? These, uh, Jesus takes these two disciples through the entire Old Testament and shows them how it proves that He is the Son of God, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. These disciples said they hoped Jesus was the Messiah, and Jesus says their hope is in the right person. They just don't understand that he had, or they didn't understand that he had to die for our sins before being resurrected as the Messiah, before being resurrected in victory over sin and death. Now, this is not just the overarching narrative of the Old Testament. This is also the overarching narrative of the rest of the Bible, right? When we start getting into New Testament, we really get a lot more details about the rescue and restoration, these last two uh, components here. That's what the New Testament is all about. So a lot of people, when they think of the gospel and, and they think of, uh, of Jesus' life or, or anything like that, they go straight to the New Testament. And that's not wrong, but that's also incomplete, right? It would be like saying this, uh, not last week, but the week before, it'd be like saying it was hot. Well, yeah, that's true, but it's incomplete. It was hot and it was humid, and it didn't cool down in the evening, so it was, it was miserable, I think would be a better way to describe the week before last. But then this week, we could say, it felt better. Well, yes, that was true, but that's incomplete. It felt better because the weather was cooler, the humidity was down, the evenings even got almost, almost where it was feeling good outside. So when we look at the New Testament to study Jesus, well, that's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Because to really understand Jesus and why he came and what he came for, and where he comes from, we have to study the Old Testament to see the need for a Savior. All right? Now, not only is this the overarching story of the Old Testament, not only is it the overarching narrative of the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, this is the story of our lives. This is the story of each and every one of us. Right? See, in creation, you were created to be in perfect relationship with God the Father. You were pre- created to be in perfect relationship with your Creator. But we are all born in a fallen state because of sin. We are enslaved to sin, and we can't help but do anything but sin. And there's no way that we can fix that problem on our own. But Jesus came to rescue us. Jesus came and took the punishment for your sin, for my sin. And just like the ram who was sacrificed in place of Isaac, Jesus was sacrificed in our place. He came to rescue us from our slavery to sin. And then our relationship with the Father is restored. And then we get this look at the end times. When we look in the Bible, we get this this picture of the end times, of a place and a time when all of creation is restored back to the glory of the way it was supposed to be before sin ever entered the world. So the whole Old Testament points to Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus. uh, He is the main point of the Bible. At any point when you're reading the Bible and you come back at it thinking, well, that was all about me. Well, that's wrong. The Bible is not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. The Bible is about Jesus and what he did for you. But it's not about you. It's about him. All right, so let's keep reading. It says, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven 
and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, just like Mary, these disciples don't recognize Jesus until he reveals himself to them. In each of these instances where this happens, the people recognize Jesus after he does something that points to an action that he did before the crucifixion. See, with Mary, it was when he calls her name. Right? When he calls her name, he reveals himself to her. She recognizes him. With these two disciples, it's when he breaks the bread and blesses it that they recognize him. Jesus reveals himself to them in that action. In another encounter, the disciples are fishing in a boat. They've been out there fishing all night, and they get nothing. And Jesus comes up on the shore. They fished all night, and they didn't catch anything. But Jesus says, cast your nets on the other side. And they do that, and they pull up so many fish, they can't even pull the net into the boat. And it's at that point they recognize Jesus for who he is. He's not just some stranger walking on the shore. He is Jesus. So in each of these instances, Jesus does something that points back to his life that reveals his, his truth to them. They, uh, when these people recognize Jesus, not only do they recognize him personally, they also recognize the significance. If he is there, then he has been resurrected from the dead. Okay? If Jesus is there, that means he's not in the grave anymore. And if he's not in the grave anymore, that means he must be the Son of God. And it says that they went to the disciples... And they began to describe everything that had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So once they recognize Jesus, they immediately go and tell others. They share their experience with others who need to hear it. Right? This is an important part of Christianity. We need to go and share our story with others who need to hear it. In this case, these disciples go and share their story with other disciples. Right? That's important for us. It's important for us to share our stories what God has done in our life, it's important for us to share that with other believers. It gives us encouragement. It helps us to see how God might be working in our own lives. That's the main reason that we give these praises, or one of the main reasons we give praises before the sermon, is to encourage others, to give a testimony to what God is doing in your life. It encourages us. It builds us up as a body of believers. And it helps us see how God might be working in our own lives. Now, your story is unique. And therefore, nobody else is able to share your story the way that you can. Nobody else can share what Jesus has done for you like you can. Other people may be able to share the gospel more fluently or in a more sophisticated manner or in a way that, that just seems a little bit more comfortable. But they can't share your story like you can. Now, if you don't feel like you can share your story, this evening from 5 to 8, we're hosting the And One Seminar and Workshop with Keith and Talia Comer. They're going to come, and they're going to help you to bring your story to a point where you can share it with others, where you can feel more comfortable in sharing it with others. If you've not pre-registered, that's okay. You can still come, and I strongly encourage everyone to come to this event because it's going to help us all as a body to be more comfortable sharing our story. Like I said, it's important for us to share our story with other believers. It's also important for us to share our story with non-believers. Because when we share our story with non-believers, they get to see the goodness of what God is doing in our lives. A lot of people in our area might know the gospel. They might know, they have a, a mental understanding of what, it, what the gospel means. But they've never actually seen how it impacts somebody at a personal level. So your story is important in sharing the gospel. Yes, 
Sometimes the gospel can be laid out in just a set of truths, and a narrative of things that have happened. But when you have a personal story attached to it, of what God is doing in your life, nothing connects to the heart like another heart. Nothing can connect to somebody's story like your story and what God is doing in your life. All right, so what, applic- mm-hmm. what application do we get from this passage? All right, our application, uh, we always get our application points from our definition of a disciple and our, our indicators for a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. First is to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, that's been the knowing application point all four weeks of our VBS. All right, the first week was know that Jesus is the Son of God, and uh, God confirmed that when he spoke to Jesus, or spoke about Jesus at his baptism. And the second week was to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and his walking on water proved that. The third week was to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and the resurrection proved that. And this week is to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and know that the whole story, or the whole Bible, tells the story of Jesus. The whole Bible points to Jesus, and he is the main point of the Bible. And so the second application point to go right along with that is to be biblically proficient. All right? Now this means that you have the ability to read the Bible to know God more. This is also something that's not easy to be. It's not easy to be biblically... Bib, mm-hmm. It's not easy to be proficient reading your Bible. <laughs> it's hard. It takes a lot of practice. When, and if I'm, if I'm being completely honest with you, it's something that you will never be completely proficient in on this side of glory. We can work at it, we can be better at it, but there's always growth to be had. There's always growth to do. To become biblically, biblically proficient means to read and study and discuss and listen and do it all over again, over and over. You can read other books about the Bible, you can take classes or you can listen to podcasts or watch YouTube videos, but most importantly, you must constantly be in your Bible. That's how you be biblically proficient. That's how when we read through the Bible, we can see how all these obscure passages in the Old Testament point to Jesus. We can see in, in Genesis all these prophecies about Jesus. We can see in the prophets all these instances that point to Jesus. Or we can see in the, the different poetic portions of the Bible, and I've been honest about that. Poetry is not my strong suit. But when you are biblically proficient, even areas that may not be your favorite parts of the Bible, you can still look in there and see Jesus in there and grow closer to him. And the final application point today, the doing, is to share your story. So what do you do in response to this passage this morning? Share your story. Just like the disciples at the end of this passage, we need to share our stories with Jesus, with those around us. We share our stories with other believers to encourage them. We share our stories with non-believers hopefully to help them to know Jesus, and hopefully hopefully they can come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you specifically for this passage this morning and how you were able to take the entire Old Testament and explain it to these disciples. Lord, we know looking at that, that, that we can look back into the Old Testament for evidence that you are the one true God. Father, I hope that you will help us to find you throughout the entire Bible. Help us to look for Jesus in the entire Bible. And God, I I pray that you will help us to share our stories and how you have impacted our lives with others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.